I make very intentional choices and the choices I make regarding relationships. I do not have people in my life who cannot support me, who can't walk alongside me, who can't take space with me just as I am. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. When we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and help better conversations with attempt survivors. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter, at SuicideNoted. In the show notes, you'll find an additional way to leave us a message, ways in which you can support or sponsor the podcast, as well as some of our programming, which is developing as we speak, and we are excited to share it with the world. Now, of course, on this podcast, we are talking about suicide. As the title suggests, it may not be a good fit for everybody. So please take that into account before or as you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is a whole lot to learn. Today's episode is a little bit different. It was actually recorded live and in person at NAMI, North Carolina's annual conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. NAMI, of course, is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Uh, I was invited there to speak, and we ultimately decided to just record this podcast, a live in-person episode. I should tell you, at the end of this episode, you will hear a question and a comment from audience members. It may be really hard to hear, but I've kept it here because I think they are important. After this introduction, you will hear Divine, who ran the workshop and introduces me. I then share a little part of a story and then go into my conversation with today's guest, who is Melissa. Melissa lives in North Carolina, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Divine, the events and volunteer um, manager with NAMI North Carolina. I am welcoming you to our second keynote session with Sean Wellington. Sean Wellington is the founder of the Suicide Noted podcast, where he's been having candid conversations with suicide attempt survivors since the summer of 2020. He is joined today by Melissa Orr for a live in-person conversation about suicide, followed by a brief Q&A session. Everyone, please welcome Sean Wellington. It's the end of 2018, and I'm uh, opening a door, and I see a woman sitting behind this desk. I go up to the woman, and I lean in, and I whisper. I say, my, uh, my therapist told me to come here. And she looks at me, and she says, are you suicidal, or are you homicidal? This is not a question I can easily answer. I say, no, 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 I'm, I'm not either of those. And there's a pause. I don't know what to do or say right now. She says, do you want to hurt anybody? Or do you want to hurt yourself? Oh, I can answer that question. That's a lot easier. I say, I don't really want to hurt anybody else. Not, not usually. I don't really want to hurt myself. And I lean in a little bit more. I say, here's the thing. I'm in this space between. That's what I call it. I don't want to die, but sometimes I don't want to live. I'm at the UNC Psych Center. She starts to fill out the paperwork. 
I said the words, Amen. Now I start to pace in the lobby, and I'm feeling two things. And these are two weird things to be coexisting. One is I'm, I'm feeling hopeful because I need help, and I haven't found anywhere else to go, and I've tried. I'm going to get the help I need. The other feeling is I am petrified because I have no idea what is about to happen. Now, this is not a commentary on our hospital system or mental health care. Two days in the emergency room and five days on the fifth floor. If you've been there, you know that the fifth floor is where the magic is supposed to happen. It wasn't so magical for me. There were some good things that came out of it, but mostly I spent a lot of time being really scared for me. Again, it's not a commentary for others. It was a really, really scary place. And after seven days, I got out. And I got in my car, and I'm driving home. I live in Chapel Hill, so it's only a few miles away. Things got a little weirder for me. Because if I was, the fear was this inside, I'm driving home, the fear is much, much more. Because I know when I get home, I'm going to open the door. I'm still going to be alone, just like I was before. I'm still not going to have many people to talk to. Not the way I want to have those kinds of conversations, just like before. And I'm worried about this. I'm still in the space between. That's what I call it. I don't know what to do. So I do this thing. I figure, you know, look, I know, I've been in this space before. I've done some work in the field. I know other people feel this way, but I've never really put a lot of time or energy into figuring it out. So what do I do? I go online. That's where you find stuff. And I'm looking for suicide attempt survivor support, but I put in different keywords because you never know what might come up. And guess what I find? Almost nothing. A few things. Some stuff on Facebook. I think now NAMI has something. I don't know if it did back then. I'm not sure. There's almost nothing to help people who have attempted suicide or maybe you're in that space between. It didn't feel like that for me. And I thought to myself, there's got to be other stuff. I go on YouTube here and there. Not much. Not the kinds of conversations that I wanted to have or be involved in. I said, oh my God, I forgot the podcast. I love podcasts. There's got to be a podcast about conversations with people in this kind of pain. I looked around. There's millions of podcasts. I'm not, this is not hyperbole. I didn't find any. You're going to do a podcast. And that was in early 2019. And you know what happened? I sat down at that laptop. I didn't do it. Got a little overwhelmed. I mean, the technology is pretty easy these days to do a podcast. Well, a year and a half goes by of stops and starts. And in the summer of 2020, I finally sit down and do what I got to do. And we launched this thing called, by the way, when I say we, it's just me, but I'm trying to sound like we have a big organization. We don't. It's just me and my, it's just one guy right now. But we launched this thing. I call it Suicide Note. And I'm like, that's kind of a clever name. And since then, we've been having, I've been having conversations with suicide attempt survivors. Kind of a simple concept so we can hear their stories in their words. And I want to share something with you that I think, given the conference that you're at, you probably know this, that every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives. That is plural. It is millions. The last time I looked, that number is not going down. There's also a lot of people, I don't have data on this because it's almost impossible to measure, there's a lot of people who are also in that space between. So one of my goals was to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. And I shared with you the reason was because I wanted to give a space for people to hear their stories in their words. There's more. I want to raise awareness. I want to dispel myths. Really what it's all about. Trying to help people feel just a little less shitty and a little less alone. And I don't know if I'm doing a good job of it. We've had 140 or so conversations so far. 
Now, normally, I'm at my kitchen table and I'm speaking to people on Zoom. Today is a different day. I'm obviously not on Zoom. I'm here with you. I did think for a little while to invite all of you to my home to hang out with me in my kitchen. Gave it some thought. I thought logistically challenging. It's a little bit awkward. So I just decided to come here with the invitation from NAMI, which I greatly appreciate, to see if we could do the podcast in person, which we're about to actually do. And what is the same is we are recording this. So later this year, this will actually be a podcast episode. And if you'd like to listen to it, that would be great. But you're actually going to get the unedited version starting in just a few moments. The other thing that hasn't changed is it's just pretty basic what I'm trying to do and I've been blessed to do it, is that it's just a conversation between two people. This conversation happens to be in part around suicide, ideating, suicidality, that kind of thing. So I will share this before I introduce my guest, our guest, is that I know uh, you've been here all day. I know that conversations like this can be difficult or uncomfortable, and even for some people, triggering You are adults, you know yourselves far better than I or anyone else knows you, so just take care of you, whatever you've got to do. So, let me introduce our guest. I'm really grateful that she's here. Her name is Melissa. How are you feeling right now? Nervous. All right. I'm trying to, yeah, acclimate. The question I wrote down is not quite the question I want to ask. The question I wrote down is, why are you here today? What I'm really trying to ask is, given that so few people are comfortable talking are comfortable talking about this, how did you come to a place where you're okay? I get you may not be comfortable, but okay to share about it and do it publicly. I know that I'm alive, and there is a reason why. I just know that if I'm not here, and if I'm not not doing this, then I'm not living out my purpose. I find healing in connection sharing my story, I really believe if there's one person that can get a glimmer or a golden nugget where they don't feel alone, that's why I'm here. Hmm. How many people know that you're talking with me other than the people in this room? Yeah. Everyone in my support system knows I'm here because Hmm. they're the ones that have encouraged me to come. Lots of opposite action has gotten me here. Um, and lots of support. So yeah, there isn't one person that doesn't know. So you, t- you shared it with all of them? I have let them know that I'm sure. coming. Yeah. Um, but I think that the people that are in my life now who love me as I am, right, they know this is what I need to do with my life. Mm. And they see how I light up. When I connect, they see how much healing happens after something like this, after an experience. you got to do it, Melissa. There's, no, there's no, no other option. But were you a little nervous? Absolutely. Yeah. I called him. Like, I'm like, what are you going to ask me? Yeah. And it's nerve-wracking. It can be nerve-wracking, sure. I would imagine. Of all the people you shared this information with, it sounds like people you trust. And I don't need you to call anybody out here, but was anybody a little bit like, Wait, what? You're going to talk about that with this bald guy? You don't talk about that stuff. No. Good. Not one. You got a good support network, it sounds like. I do, but I also think that at this point in my life, 
I make very intentional choices, and the choices I make regarding relationships, right? I do not have people in my life who cannot support me, who can't walk alongside me, who can't take space with me just as I am. Mm. And that's what I do for others. I mean, you're doing it right now. Yeah. I shared with Melissa, and I kind of want you all to know that I'm going to ask some difficult questions. There's no way around that when we're talking about some of this stuff. But I want you all to know, I mean, you obviously never have to answer a question. You can just be like, I'm not answering that question. I know it's a little awkward, but please say that. And also, there's some stuff that might come up. I sometimes have to make these decisions about what to include in the edited version. I let most things go. There's a couple. I can share more about that after if you're curious. Um, but we, we get into it, and mainly because I think there are people out there that need to hear this stuff. And as much as I love the conversations and appreciate them about recovery, and, and that'll be part of our conversation, I just don't think we spend enough time with some of the icky stuff. Because for me, that helps people say, oh, I'm going through that. Melissa might have gone through that or might be going through that. So with that, huge lead-in. Man, I talk a lot. I when, talk a lot, too. Okay. And I told him I wouldn't. We're like competing. Us. Yeah. But you're going to win this one. I want you to talk way more than me. What, do you remember when you first thought of suicide? And, and not so much as sort of a philosophical or existential idea, but as that's a possibility maybe for me one day. I was three years old. Three. You remember that moment or those moments? I do. It's always challenging because we're trying to go back. We're trying to stuff a whole life into like 45 minutes. So it's like, I never get this right. But I want to ask you, what, what's going on in your life, as best you can recall, that makes a three or four-year-old Melissa feel that way a little bit? Or more than a little bit, maybe. I am a survivor of complex childhood trauma. Mm. The environment was very chaotic. I'm an only child. And it was something I saw. It was a tool that my primary caregiver utilized to alleviate pain, to stay present. Yeah, why would I not, right? So you get the feeling at three, and I don't need to ask your age because I'm never supposed to ask that. We could talk about suicide, but I'm not asking a woman her age. I've learned that lesson. Um, I'm older than three. You're older than three. So there's some time, presumably years, dare I say maybe a decade or two, in that time, and here's the real challenge here of trying to figure out what to share in decades of one's life in a short period of time, but in that entire time, you're thinking about it, does it ever go away for a long period of time? No, so, you know, um, something I shared with Sean earlier is, well, I mean, here all day you've heard about trauma, right? We've heard about the, the, the reasons behind trauma and the trauma responses and all the things that can happen and how it affects your present moment experience, even here. And the primary attachment, right, is super, super important. And I think for me, babies are amazing, right? The first 2,000 days, it's all about the development of the brain and sensory awareness and all of that. I didn't have that mm. because I was born into a situation where my mother had intergenerational trauma. Mm. And so the basic needs of Melissa, she just was incapable. I say that because I truly did not have a foundation, mm. right, mm. to self-soothe. And when you are a child and you're going to your primary caregiver to get that self-soothing, right, for 
I don't know, falling over or, you know, pumping your knee or whatever it might be, and they're not able to give that to you, and you have no one else around you to self-soothe, what are you going to do? I had to do it. And so in that, you know, I started to model what I saw before me. I can't tell you exactly what I did at that young age, but I can tell you that as I got older, I knew, number one, I was undeserving of taking up space. I was too much. If I asked for something, it was too much because I've got to deal with my own stuff, right? And so this, this core belief of, you know, not, of, of not deserving to take up space, why would you not want to disappear? Why would you not want to be invisible? Yeah. Man, sometimes I'm about to ask a question. I'm like, you can't ask that. You better find the right way to frame this. So here, here it goes. Not everybody who goes through things, right? They don't think about suicide. Some people do, some people don't. The reason I'm asking that, some people try, some don't. Some people have multiple attempts. Some I know you're not a doctor, but you're somebody who's lived with this stuff for a while. I'm wondering, do you think, is there a genetic component here? I think about it only because, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Genetic component yeah, to suicidality, do you think? Let me, let me say something yeah. I just thought of. But sure. when I speak about suicide, I really speak from the standpoint of the ideation mm-hmm. of the idea of dying because then it erases my pain. So the actual planning didn't happen until later in high school when I actually started to be aware of my reality. Mm. For me, and this is my lived experience, right? We all have different lived experiences. But for me, suicide ideation and then it developing into self-harm later on in life. To answer your question, is there a genetic component? I don't know, but Mm. I definitely know that we model our primary caregivers. Right. I I do know that. Environmental, for sure. Right, I'm on board with that. So it wasn't until high school, I think the word you used was planning. And I want to remind everyone here who's listening, you may not need this reminder. Maybe I'm just reminding myself sometimes. my, My goal here really isn't to be unnecessarily sensationalizing anything or go graphic. It's not what I'm doing or the goal. Remember, the goal really is I want to help people and myself feel a little less alone. So that's the nature of some of these questions. I know some of them dig a little bit and it's like, dude, what are you doing? That's the reason. So you're planning in high school. Can you share what that planning looks like? Yeah, I mean, I've always been really organized and love school. And so for me, everything is like a business plan. Oh, really? I've never heard of this. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I do a lot. I don't love it. Strange I just think it's fascinating things. and different. Yeah. Really? And like what if situations. All right. It's, it's fair to say that my mom, she's now deceased, was very mentally ill. Oh. If something would come up that was difficult, I had a plan for that. So there was different plans on how when, because it was always about hurting her. It was about me trying to get her to listen. Like, look at me, listen to me. If you're not going to, then guess what? I want to die. And then you'll come and find me, and then you're going to feel like really bad. I mean, my hope is that she would say, oh my God, you know? Yeah. A lot of people I talk to when I ask this question, did you want to die, right? Sometimes they'll say, yeah, I did. Even upon reflection. 
And some will say, no, I wanted the pain to go away. And then sometimes get, you know, there'll be a, kind of a little bit of a different answer. So when you say that, when you look back, did you want to die? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I, I've done so much work on staying in the present moment, right? Uh, yeah. uh, it's really hard because I truly did not understand why I was born. Mm. And I say that because I, yeah, I just had no place. And I am a really good, I was a really good kid. And I know this to be true, that I was very gifted. And I was, you know, I loved people. And, you know, I just was good. And I know this to be true because, you know, my way of dealing with all the chaos and with the violence and all of the different things that I had kind of, in my journey, I developed uh, dissociation, DID, mm. which is dissociative identity disorder. I know what I was before the trauma. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I cannot remember a time that I didn't wake up and want to die. You cannot remember? Well, now, now I want to live. Right. I wake up every morning wanting to live now. When was that change? Yeah. February 12th of 2020. You remember the exact day? Yeah. Well, you know the next question, right? Yeah, why? That no, yeah, what was going on that uh, day? Is that Valentine's Day? Is that, or is that President's Day? It tells you a lot about my love life, right? I don't know the difference between Valentine's Day and President's Day. Jeez. <laughs> February of 2020. Are we getting ahead here? I'm really curious what happened that day. Yeah? You want to share it? You want to wait? It's your show. No, it's not. Well, <laughs> all right, kind of it is. It's our show. Let me go back and then we'll, we'll jump around. There was something that happened. We spoke a little bit before meeting here. There was the time I want to get to, the climb you came closest. Yeah. Because I know there were years of struggle and yeah. maybes and a little, some planning. Can you share that? Yeah. It sounded like there was a sort of a moment of left or right. Yeah, so can I just give like a little bit yeah. of a, because I, I just rec- realized that when I say that every day I wanted to die, I want you to understand why. Can I just take a of few course. minutes sure. to do that? So I told you I was an only child, or I am an only child. I, I had, obviously, my mom and my dad, but my dad was in the military, so we traveled all the time. My mom had a schizoaffective disorder. She was extremely narcissistic, emotionally, just didn't know boundaries. So I didn't grow up with a lot of family members because we were always traveling. Mm-hmm. Did all the things, very high-functioning, no one knew anything that was going on. Mm. Secret. I showed up and everything was great. Put my lipstick on, put my scarf on. Well, I don't have lipstick on today. I so that's that like F- a big right. deal. That's a big deal. That today. is symbolic as hell. Huge big deal. Yeah. But everything had to be perfect. My grades had to be everything, right? Because I needed to show up. When I walked out the door of my house, of, of our house, of my family's house, I had to be a totally different person. Mm. And imagine watching a domestic violence situation as a child, right? And then going to school the next day. Yeah. And so that chronic, you know, the repetitiveness of things, scenarios like that, or my mom's actions towards me, it just builds up. And so that's what led me to this, when will this pain ever end? So to answer your question, my late mother passed away September of 2012. And I knew that was coming. Mm. She had attempted many times. She used suicide as a manipulative tool. One of the most damaging things that I think a child has to deal with Mm -hmm. when someone's life is dependent on how you behave. 
or the choices you make. So she passed away in 2012. Yeah. I thought, okay, time for me to live my life. Like, this is my thing. I even heard when I got the phone call, I fell to my knees. It's been really long time for me to say this out loud, but I got, fell on my knees and cried because I was set free. You're good to go. She's gone. I can live for Melissa. Right. So much shame telling all of you that right now. Mm. Because Hallmark cards, <laughs> you know, everyone is like, oh, you must miss your mother. You must, well, hear me. I don't miss her. And the reason why is because she's free of the pain of her mind and her body. I had to see that every day, every day until I left at 18 to go to college, never going back, right? Beautiful, beautiful person. And I have to say that because she gave me life. Mm. Now I can say that before I couldn't. Free to live. Please hear me. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, yay. No, it was, it was a whisper in my ear. It was my universe, higher power, whatever you call it, giving me that, it's your time, Melissa. And I thought, okay, well, I'm here to tell you, life got even harder. 2012, she died. She died, yeah. And things were going to be good now. Yeah. And they weren't. Uh-uh. What happened? I had to deal with me. Uh-oh. I no longer, she was my child. She was my mother. She was like everything. She was my first love. I was 38, had never fell in love. She wouldn't let me fall in love. She was jealous. She was envious. She would destroy anything good in my life. So I thought, okay, yeah. my choice. Right. I get to live. And totally. no, I, I honestly can't remember everything. Right. Numb. Couldn't work. I, I mean, darkest of days. So hang on a sec. In those, those days, I mean, I know, we, we know where this is leading, right? How hard does it get? To add a little complexity to sure. this, because I have to, sure. of course, because this is a, the way it goes. This is not um, simple stuff here. This is complex. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you have the complex childhood trauma. But right. then I also had trauma after her dying because right. my father decided to check out of life with me. And with the whole situation, right? And so I dealt another blow. Mm. It was just me. And so I didn't have skills. I didn't have tools. Mm. And I was doing the motions. I, I think many of you can relate to feeling like your pain is, well, our pain is invisible. Mm. You can't see my pain up here, right? You just see me, the bow, and the scarf. No and lipstick. No lipstick. no lipstick, but you know, pain is so invisible. Yeah. And what I ended up doing was if I couldn't fix my mom or help her in all my, you know, 38 years, then I was going to go and try to fix someone else. So guess what I did? I went and worked at a sexual assault domestic violence shelter mm -hmm. because that's where I belong. That's where I need to be. Yeah. Are you saying that seriously or facetiously? No, that's what I did. Right. No, I saying if yeah, I did not. I did okay. not belong Just there. Right. I'm slow. Yeah, no, 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 no. I yeah. did not. That was probably well. It was a gift, but yeah, in hindsight, no. No, okay. I probably should not have gone there. But I think you're looking at like what you know. My life became unmanageable. Right. The insanity was out of control. I was in and out of relationships. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to commit. 
I didn't know how to attach, isolated. I was dead inside. I really was. And I didn't quite know how to navigate the turmoil of reconciliation, if that makes any sense. I feel like I'm just kind of going around. No, it makes sense. Here, but this just like, reconciling yeah. my past to the present. Right. And then, you know, being dissociated from what's happening around me. It's kind of like, what is happening here? One of the things I think about a lot is the struggle. You're, you're, you're staying alive in that, in this months and years. Yeah. And this is just me calling out hardcore that I know we give a lot of credit to people who struggle to, you know, finish a marathon and train. You know, you're a CEO now, you worked your ass off, that's amazing. I don't hear, in my circles, they may be out there, oh, you struggled for years to stay alive, which is, I think, I'm going to compare and say it's more admirable. We don't need to necessarily make those comparisons. I wish we heard that narrative a little more. So you're trying to, you're struggling, clearly. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you bring up a great point, Sean, that, you know, we're so mm. like ingrained to do. This is true. To just keep doing. And I think for me, my doing, my body gave up and just says, you're not going to do. You mm. got to be, Melissa. And that's really what happened. My body just gave out. You know, my eating disorder wasn't, you know. Right. I mean, just everything. I, I didn't know how to emotionally regulate. Mm. I was in trauma time walking around. Yeah, I was doing things that when you say survival, you know, I didn't understand that until I went to treatment, residential, when I, you know, because when you start to recognize some of the things you did, right, that you're like, why did I do that? In that moment, I was surviving. Yeah, nothing simple. But when I use that as a lens, that kind of often makes sense. You're surviving. You do whatever you can, right? Until you can. What was the year then? So it was it 2020 or 2018? Oh, yeah. So it's so hard because so much happens. I right? know. But it's let's very, get to the good stuff. Is that yeah. Well, no, no, hang on. Okay. okay the, yeah. No, 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 no. I like the way you frame that. Good <laughs> I wanna, stuff. I want to get out let's of Let's get this. to the good yeah. stuff. Let's get to the... No. It's hard. It is very hard, it's hard. to it's have hard. these conversations. Hard. Not just emotionally, like what are you including and what are you not including? We're trying to get your whole life in here. We could also, by the way, follow up on Zoom and add to it, but... There was a moment you shared with me when we connected earlier where, if I, if I remember correctly, um, it sounded, and I hope I'm using the right words here, the closest you ever came. Yeah, yeah. And I want to get to that only because we do have yeah. some limited time. Yeah. And I also want to talk a little bit more about like what happened since then, because I think yeah. that's some good stuff or yeah. recovery stuff. Yeah. yeah. For me, one of the things to survive and to feel alive was I was having multiple relationships. I needed validation. I just woke up and realized I was hurting people. That's not me at all. But I was so hurting myself. So I woke up and, and, and it wasn't just like I woke up and this is what happened. It was just, you know, uh, six months of just, you know, as it got to the point where my core beliefs really started to dictate my life. You know, uh, you're unworthy, you're undeserving, uh, you're stupid, you're never going to be anything. It just kept building and building and building to where I believed it. I am unworthy. I mm. am undeserving. And at that point, I had no other option. Right. I was doing everything to help with my depression, right? You know, that just the physical symptoms. So we talk about mental health, right? So yeah, I had all that going on too. The depression, 
not having energy, not wanting. It was so painful for me to get in the shower. It just was so unbearable for me. My self-harm had gone up, which I used to create pain to alleviate the internal pain, if that makes any sense. And one of the things I will tell you is that I do know that I've always had something else guiding me. Because in the midst of all of this, I do seek out resources. Mm. I seek out resources for others. And so in part of the helping profession, I know where to go. I just have to be courageous enough to show my face and say, I need help too. You know, they're used to me sending people their way, right? But when Melissa actually walks in and says, I need your help. Right. So what I did, I started making phone calls. I was going to go eat, get ECT done because I kept saying, I need all of this out of my head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. shock. I, I didn't care. Just shock it out of me. all the memories yeah. out. Right. And they said, nope, you're not a candidate for this. You need to go to trauma therapy. I was like, no, I'm not doing it. No? No. Long story short, you ask about the day. I ask about the day. I know, yeah, it's so hard. They called a residential facility for me, and immediately they accepted me. I had to drive myself there. And I told myself, if I get there, I'll stay alive. If I don't, then it's going to happen this time. I will die. And it's going to be on my terms and my choice. And this is 2018 or 2020? This is February um, 12th of 2020. Oh, that's why you know the day. I got you. Yeah. I told you I'm slow. Yeah. I drove myself. It was I every, yeah, like every rest area. It just was really hard because I knew going in, I would be facing my darkest fears. Into the treatment facility. Yeah. Right. And yet there was a part of me definitely wanted to be there. Okay. It was me making the choice. No one made it for me. I made it. How far is that drive? It was six hours. Okay. So this is going on for six hours. Get there and live. Don't get there and not live. So I did a few videos in the car. Really? Yeah. You're not about to show those videos right uh-uh. here. Okay. I didn't think so. Why, Just, wait, why'd you do a video? Like you took the phone and... Yeah. Okay. Just to thank those people that have been with me and have been really... Ah. I always have to apologize for my behavior. And I always feel like I owe the people in my life who've stuck by me because... I have believed that I'm difficult and I'm unlovable. So this was a suicide note, essentially. No, a suicide video. Am I not understanding? It was just a gratitude offering to those who've loved me. and gotcha. So that they would know that yeah. I'm finally... They don't have to watch me suffer anymore. So, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, we don't have to have a name for it. It is yeah. what it is. One of the things about these conversations is we, we obviously know you're here. Yeah. So, But I'm curious, was... Yeah. You made it to the hospital. Yeah. Or the facility, I should say. Right. It's a long drive. What'd you do with those videos? I still have them. Yeah. How long were you in that facility for? I was there 45 days. Mm-hmm. And that was just to get me stable. So I mentioned to you I have DID. So you can imagine there's a lot that goes on with that. I have five different alters. And so if we're not all on the same page, it can be difficult, right? And what's an alter? Um, there's certain aspects of my sense of self. Okay. So there's five parts that have an awareness of how we present in mm. the world. Okay. What led up to residential is this. I don't know if anybody here can relate to this, but 
Have you ever had this like intolerable fear to do something? So much in fact that you think if you do it, you're going to die or break. And that is how I felt with my life in that moment. Going into I guess the facility. That's, yeah. So just so I'm clear. Yeah. I'm, when, I'm, no, 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 no. You're doing great. And it's very clear. When you're driving there, yeah. it sounds like you're basically choosing yeah. between dying and dying. If I understand correctly. Yeah, so I guess, yeah. The intensity of it and the idea of it almost being like a death is pretty like, wow. Yeah, you know, Sean, because I dissociate so much, uh, it didn't seem like six hours. Okay. It felt like less. I don't really know what it felt like. It just okay. kind of felt like I was, you know, I, I dissociate. It's my way of dealing with stuff. Yeah, now that you're asking me these questions, I can't really say that something happened or didn't happen. I just know that I got there. Mm. And I also knew that if I can just be open and willing, then, you know, I was, I was choosing to, to stay alive. And you made it through the 45 days? I did. And that's more than, what, at least two and a half years ago, if my math is correct? Yeah. That was actually happened near lockdown or into lockdown. Actually, yes. You were yes. in a fa- that facility during yeah. the lockdown. Okay. Yeah. There's a little irony there, no? Yes. For me, COVID was a gift mm. because then I went into intensive treatment. I went into a partial hospitalization for six months. I then did outpatient treatment. In this present moment, I have been doing treatment since that day. Intense treatment. Intense treatment, yeah. So it's two and a half plus years. Yeah. I mean, you're here now. My full-time job has been treatment. Full-time job is getting better. I had a session this morning before I came here. Would we be having this conversation six months ago? Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Two years ago? Probably not. All right. And I think it's because my awareness that I actually had suicidal ideation, you know, I didn't really think of it as anything that was not helpful. Yeah. It was a respite for me. Do you think it's possible? Is, is suicide a possibility as we sit here today for you? No. 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 You sit that with like a lot no. of energy and no. vigor. No. I have tools. Yeah. I have connection. No. That says it all, yeah. I know that I'm meant to be here. I um, learned skills through DBT skills that opened my life to mindfulness. Mm -hmm. I use these every day to help me lean in to what is. And what is is not great, but it's mine. And I have choice now as an adult. I'm no longer a victim. Okay. Living in that, living in that light of choice and of strength, and self-compassion, that's where my work is. Like I live, breathe, DBT and self-compassion because it is, that's what's changed my life. DBT has been good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Game changer. Game changer. Saved my life. Wow. That's powerful. So DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. It's a model introduced by Marsha Linehan and her research, cognitive behavioral therapy, but Mm. it has an action component to it. So it's really designed for people with borderline personality, self-harm, suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. For someone like me who's hopeless. You were a very good candidate for it. 
And it's worked. Hopeless and helpless. Yeah. Yeah, it's mindfulness. It's how to have interpersonal relationships. Awesome. It's tools. All of, actually, all of us need tools, right? Sure. To regulate, to deal with distressful situations, distress tolerance, emotional regulation. She was a Buddhist teacher, is a Buddhist teacher. So she incorporated this mindfulness aspect. Every day, I started with 30 seconds, you know, of just trying it and, and doing it, doing opposite action, doing, you know, whatever it was I needed to be effective in my life. Suicide wasn't effective. Self-harm's not effective. But what is effective? And just building those muscles, it saved my life. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. A couple other questions, and then we're going to finish up. If there's more you want to share, remember, we can just hop on Zoom. Yeah magic of editing, we could splice things together. You know, if you've heard the podcast, and I think you have, you know that I often ask about myths and misconceptions. Oh, yeah. So myths, because there's probably a bunch, and it could be around ideating, it could be around DID, it could be around any number of things, but there's one, maybe two, that you want to absolutely call BS on and say, it's just not the way it is. Yeah, it's not just about one day. You know, it's not something that someone just thinks to do that one day. When I was invited to be here, I told Sean, I don't know if I'm the right person because it wasn't about one day. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't about my life before it or after it. It was just, that's my lived experience. It's how I dealt with things when I was helpless. The other thing is, don't be afraid to talk about it. Mm. I think Sean and I, we had this conversation about language. You know, language, changing the language we use when we talk about it. It's nothing to be afraid of. And, you know, asking people, what is it that you need? What do you need right now in this moment? Do you need a cup of water? Do you need me just to sit here with you? What is it? And if we ask people those questions more often, Maybe then we can have a dialogue of some sort. But yeah, like actually learn how to have a conversation. Yeah, not that'd be cool. You know, I have a lot to say about that. Yeah, I do. I have a lot of strong feelings about why people don't talk about it or talk more about it. It's not the Sean show, so I'm not gonna go on some rant about that. But I just kind of wish people were a little better when people talked about it, how they engaged. But that's a conversation for another day. Any other myths? There is hope. So you think a lot of people don't think there's hope? That's why it's a myth. In the midst of it, you believe it, there is no hope. But if someone who's listening to this right now Hmm. is thinking that's their only option, I would say, reach out to Sean. He'll connect you with me. I will give you evidence in my life that there is hope. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. Please hear that. Lots and lots of dedicated work to rewiring our brain, my brain. Yeah. I'm doing it right now here with you guys. I'm rewiring my brain yeah. as I sit here. Yeah. Because this experience is overriding all those other experiences, right? That said, you don't have anything to give. Well, guess what? I do. I do. Thank you. When you said, if people hear this, reach out to me or reach out to you, if anyone hears this or, or is listening, did you mean people on the podcast or did you mean people in this room? Oh, anybody. Oh, so it could be both. Yeah. All right. You never know who here is. So here, you ready? Here's the, um, this is an Oprah question. This is like an Oprah-esque question. And if you can see my style, I ain't Oprah. But she's crushed it, so I might, I might as well do one or two things. Any words to your younger self? You oh, see why it's an Oprah question? Cool. If you want to fake vomit, then we won't yeah, do it. No. You know, I have to be honest. My younger selves give me wisdom. 
Your younger self gives you wisdom. Yeah, and what I say about it, what I mean by that is, you know, my my little parts that are in me that protected me during the intolerable of intolerables. Yeah. Nacelle, why be sad when we can be glad? They'll just give me little glimmers of things that keep me innocent, keep me seeing color. Mm. How many people, when you're in depression, you don't see color? My childlike parts, they help me see color. I start to hear birds. I start to see trees. And I think all of us can tap into our like inner selves, right? Our childlike states. We all have it. Don't you like to dance? I love Blow, dancing. Yes. Blow bubbles. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Go find something and play. You know, playing helps a lot just to kind of, you know, do simple things. What was your question? We just got all over the place. Yeah. It's cool. It's all good stuff you're sharing. The only other thing I have, and then you add whatever else you want, because I don't always ask. Oh, you asked what would I tell my little... Yeah, so what do I tell What would you tell her? Oh, yes. I thought you answered that. They give me wisdom. I would say that I can take care of you. All right. I can take care of us. I've got us. That's what I want to tell them. I have us. We're good. What would you tell people who are here right now or listening when that comes out, not the people who are necessarily in the space between, right? They might be, but I'm, the message, if there is any, based on your lived experience, any wisdom, to the people who are in a supportive role, maybe it's their kid, maybe it's their coworker, they're concerned about him or her or them. It's tough because it really, I know, depends on the specific details. It's so hard, right? What keeps coming to my mind is just sitting near them and actually offering yourself self-compassion. Being kind to yourself, getting yourself grounded so then you can be there for that person. Mm. So, you know, the way I speak to myself is the way I speak to others. The beauty of compassion is that we're being kind, tapping into the suffering of ourselves and with others. So we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to say the right thing. It's the common humanity, right? Mm. And reaching for connection. Isolation, we're not wired for isolation. We are wired for connection. We're not wired for isolation. Absolutely I don't believe people when they're like, nah, I'm good. Uh, Yeah, I don't believe you. COVID is a perfect example, right? The evidence shows for COVID that... COVID's complicated, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, so yeah, isolation is not good. And I think having a dialogue, an open dialogue in the home, you know, or wherever. Yeah. First of all, you're awesome. (laughs) Because that's not easy to do. So thank you. Thank you all. Not only, well, you stayed here for like, how many hours is it now? Uh, But mostly for hanging in with us and just simply listening, because I think it's a skill everybody can improve upon, Uh, whether you're listening to a bald guy talk or blab on, or you're just with your friends, your neighbors. And I know I'm saying something you already know, but I just think it's a game changer. I think it's the difference of saving lives more than anything else in the world. I don't have data for that, but it's a strong belief. In the time we have remaining, does anybody have a question for Melissa or for me? With your permission, right? You're cool yeah, with taking yeah, a question, absolutely. and then we'll close it out, and then we'll be hanging out a little bit. So much of your story resonated with me, and, and your insight, um, your message, self-compassion. So I just want to say I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Peg, because she's like my main connection to Nami, and she's awesome. Group hug after. <laughs>
Oh, wait, can we do that or is COVID allowed? Yeah, we could do that at this point. Jeez. <laughs> Group hug for crying. We have one more and then we'll close it out. Yes, sir, in the back. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Bald guys are cool. <laughs> Bald guys are cool. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for the correction, sir. All of a sudden, I'm not going to be so sensitive. Watch. No, you're awesome. No, we're going to close out. I just say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Thank Super you. special thanks. Um, to Melissa it. and here's how I end the podcast and here's what I'm going to say to you stay strong do the best you can I hope to talk to you again soon thanks y'all